Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast, and I am so excited to have you listening to today's episode. I have been excited for months to release this episode with Robert Injuries. This was an amazing interview from a true entrepreneur who grew his own business in software development and engineering, who grew up in a very poor family in Romania, but they always had a budget for books. From there, he has now created million dollars worth of net worth for himself. He has businesses around the globe and has either created or partnered with entrepreneurs who are doing big things and thinking big. Throughout his time in entrepreneurship, he has generated over $500 million in business value for his clients, delivered on over 200 projects for clients in 19 different sectors around the globe, consulted with over a thousand professionals to achieve two to 10 times higher levels of effectiveness and created athlete level health for himself while maintaining an amazing marriage. If you are ready to dive into the mindset of business and entrepreneurship for 2024, this is the episode for you. I've been born into a poor family in a developing country. We, at the beginning, were you know on farms, working the land, feeding chicken, walking the cows, you know, all of that good stuff that you would imagine a farm boy doing. We had very little money as a, as a household. However, my, my parents were smart. And though we never had money to buy almost anything, we always had money to buy books. And so I, I still praise them to this day for that because I could always go and buy a book for myself. I couldn't buy anything else, but I could buy it. So I remember I, I was in the habit of buying books and reading and so on. And at one point there was this book, it was super expensive, but it was super cool. It, it was called The Evolution of Technology. And I remember looking at it. It was so cool. I remember seeing the price. I remember it shocked me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so expensive. How can it be so expensive for a book? I kid you not, it was probably like $5. But, you know, <laughs> for, for someone, you know, that didn't have money and, you know, we're very young. It's like, oh, wow, it's $5. I don't know if they'll give me $5. Basically, I went back, I asked and, you know, they said, they said what? that much for a book? Yes, yes, yes. Come with me if you want to. Like, let's go buy it together. And we did. We bought it. And I, I still remember, I still own the book, by the way. It's changed my life. I never kept it. Uh, and um, on the front cover, there was a, a half-dissected Hoover a, a vacuum cleaner. You could see the flow of air. You could see the parts of it. Like, you could see how it works. And that's fascinating. And I really loved it. Like, the moment I saw all of that and I was flicked, fl flipping the pages, seeing how things work, this was before TV, before Discovery. I mean, the world had TV. We didn't have, you know, so we, we had the book. So it was, it was very cool. Really loved it. I got super into technology from there. And then I started learning to code, started learning, you know, how to build stuff, computers or whatever, everything I could get my hands on. I, I would get, you know, like we would go to these places that you would have trash and I would pick up hardware, like for example, an old Walkman. This was before the age of iPads, right? So there was the Walkman that you used to have put cassettes in. So I, I used to have that and I would, you know, see where, where the, like, how can I un, like unwrap this? Where, where are all of the, the pieces that I can pull apart without breaking it? So I did a lot of that. Then when I was 14, I left my parents' house. I went to a much bigger city that was 20 times bigger. And because I didn't, leave on necessarily good terms, I had to fend for myself. So I had to work jobs and so on. So I got jobs as at one point I was building furniture. At another point, I was a lumberjack in the forest. <laughs> another point I was in a manufacturing plant, just moving stuff along, you know, using a hammer, whatever. And then at one point I had a conversation with uh, the owner of the manufacturing plant and I praised him for the enterprise he's built because I really appreciated it. He, he, they were. There are people that I know where they came from. I didn't know them well, but I know where they came from and they're similar, very similar background. 
they were obviously just 20, 30 years older than I. Speaking with them and it was, I praised them for everything that they've done. And then at one point they said, but some of the things you do are, excuse me, very archaic. <laughs> you run a multi-million dollar enterprise and you still, you know, have the work orders on paper, pen and paper, like whatever order comes in, you know, like you write it down and then you make them do the math on the computer, like on a little computer, like not, 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 not on the PC, but like a little handy computer. He laughed and said, yes, that's true. We're trying to, you know, build systems. We're trying to do all of that. And I said, but how, you know, obviously my, my brain, you know, fired up like, how, how are you going to do that? And uh, well, they were talking to a company in Budapest where, you know, this is what they want to do and this is what we want to do and so on. And I asked him how much will it cost? And he didn't want to tell me because, you know, I was a minimum wage earner and I was earning maybe whatever, a hundred dollars, I don't know, something very little and a month. And I said, come on, tell me, I, I must know. And he eventually told me, and I was in shock. I was in complete shock. It was like my salary for years for, I don't know how many years. <laughs> so I, I, I was thinking about it and I looked at them, I'm like, I can do everything you just said for half of the price. <laughs> I, he started laughing, obviously he didn't believe me, you know, and I, I never did something like that, but I just, how hard can it be? You know, I mean, come on, just, you need systems. I've been, you know, studying and, you know, all of these things for a while now, I'm guessing I can build it. We eventually convinced him to give me a couple of weeks of paid leave so that I work on this project, right? I said, if after a couple of weeks, I realize I can't do it, no problem. I'll come back and I'll just work. But, you know, this can be good for you because you, you're, your risk is very little. I don't know why I, I came up with stuff like, well, your risk is very little. You just risk a hundred dollars, right? And then you might get everything you wanted, you know, for half the price. <laughs> so it was a, it was a good conversation. I went home, started working on it. Long story short, two weeks later, I show up, everything he wanted. They were in shock. They couldn't believe it. You know, they gave me some feedback because they had something else like they wanted, you know, like once they actually see, that's what happens always with software. Once you see it, like what you asked for, you're like, oh, maybe, maybe it should be a little bit more like this or a little bit more like that. So they give you feedback and so you work with that. So they gave me the feedback, went back home, spent a few more days, a week, whatever, came back. They got everything they wanted. They paid me a very handsome amount. And then I realized that there's an industry, there. you know, people need engineering. So all of this happened when I was 15. <laughs> that was my first client, first high level client in engineering. And then I started getting more and more projects. By the time I was 18, I was already making more than both of my parents combined. And they wanted me to go to university. I obviously didn't because why, why would I, if, if I already make more, they, both of them went to uni and where did it get them? You know, they're working their butts off every single day for their entire life, you know, never having enough money. So like, I don't want to go down the same path. Eventually my mom convinced me because she told me, if you're not going to do it for you, do it for me. I said, fine, I'm, I would do anything for you. So let me just do, do If you want me to do this, I'll do it. And so uh, I did that. Since then I've traveled a lot. I've been to, and this is very relevant for the show. So uh, I've been to 17 different country, countries. I've been to Spain, UK, Italy, Greece, Siberia, Philippines. Or not, not Philippines, sorry, Thailand, Mexico, United States, whatever. Like I could just keep going on, but basically many, many places, everywhere I wanted to go, I just went. I love my time in Mexico. Cancun is amazing. Playa del Carmen, very nice. The Caribbean Sea is the, literally the best sea I have ever been to. At any point in time, if I ever want to go to a sea that's actually warm, because everywhere else, you know, people say, hey, come in, the water is warm. BS. It's not. It's cool. It's always cool. In the Caribbean Sea, guess what? It's actually warm. It's good. You can go in, fine. You enjoy it. I've seen a world wonder there, one of the seven world wonders, which is the Mayan capital, Chichen Itza. So really love that and so on and so forth. Once you start adding value to the marketplace and, and, and you figure out a way to do so remotely, you know, sky's the limit. Anything you ever wanted to do, you just go ahead and do it because you only need to work 40, 50 hours a week, right? to at the most places. And so there are 168 hours in a, in a week, right? So 40, 50 work, you have all of the rest to do whatever else you want. You have a hundred something hours. Obviously much of it you sleep, especially if you're a big sleeper, like my wife, for example, she sleeps a lot. Um, 
I, I don't mind. I'm not saying that as a negative comment. Just say I sleep, ten, I tend to sleep less and then she tends to sleep more. So depends how many hours are left. But again, whether I work in Cancun or I work in Siberia or I work in the UK where we have a house or here in Europe where we have another house and so on, or here in Europe, we have three houses so we can go work in any of them. You know, it really doesn't matter. You can just move around. Thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. And I know you have built many businesses since that 15-year-old yeah. version of yourself. So <laughs> what what has what are those businesses? And what has building up those businesses throughout your time as an entrepreneur looked like? Those businesses are very different. They are in different industries and different countries. I'll tell you of a few of them, just so you give examples. You get examples. However, before I do, I'll tell you that I have a very simple investment philosophy, investment of capital and time. So it has three points. Number one, first question is, does it make the world a better place? If the business does not make the world a better place, I'm not interested. I'm literally, I just, I, you can choose whatever you want to do. Start, start choosing, literally just, when are you going to start choosing? When you're 50, <laughs> you know, start choosing now, right? Do you work on things that you actually believe matter? Right. And that can be in cleaning, you know, that can be in paper, in, in wood, in, 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 in coal. It, it can be in programming. It can be whatever it is you think, you know, you, you have like a natural affiliation towards, right. Whether it's engineering or, or medicine or lawyers or whatever, you know, just pick something that you think matters. So that's one. So does it make the world a better place? Number two, do I believe that it can be profitable in month one? It's very important for me. If it can't be profitable in month one, I'm not interested because I'm not going to spend money on something or time on something that's losing me money or time. All right. I don't need to anymore. Maybe I, I, I did that for a long time when I was younger. Why would I do it again? I, I'm not 18 anymore. I'm not 20 something. You know, I, at the end of the day, if someone comes to me with like an amazing idea, like, oh, Robert, look, look at this idea. Okay. Well, does it make money in month one? Well, no, we need to invest like six months. Okay, well, do you have an investor? Oh, well, no, I don't know. Like, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, so it's just those conversations don't go anywhere with me because the truth is 99% of businesses fail. And, you know, I, I don't want to take risks like that uselessly, right? So I can't take it if I really love the idea, but typically it has to be outstanding. And most ideas aren't outstanding. I'm sorry for anyone that has ideas. You know, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but most ideas aren't fantastic. And so the third part is, do I like the people I will be working with, right? Because I always go into partnerships. So do I like the people there that are inviting me as a, as a, as a shareholder, as a partner and so on and so forth. Typically that's how I, it happens. That's how I have all of these businesses because people learn about me or they work with me for a little bit and then they invite me, give me shares and then grow the business. Those, those are my three considerations. So now. A few of the businesses that I own, one of them is obviously in engineering. We've delivered on over 200 tech projects, everything from autonomous flying drones to dermatology sensors. We, we took dermatology tests down from two weeks to two seconds, right? Huge innovation in the industry, dermatology. Another, we work with Stanford, the, the school, the, the university. We work with the second biggest bank in um, Australia and so on. We worked in 19 countries. So we have operations in many, many countries. Then on, I have a marketing agency that does. So, so that, that company, the first one, the engineering company has three offices, one in Europe, one in the UK, and then one in the US in Wyoming, I think. Then we have another, yes, it's Wyoming, Buffalo, Wyoming. Then we have the marketing agency that's in Florida. And then the marketing agency has generated over 200 million in closed business for clients in the last seven and a half years, right? So tens of millions every year that we generate for our clients. The third one, these are in no order, by the way, but I have eight. So another one is an HR company we have in Rodrum, in, in Rodrum in, in the UK. And when, when I joined that company, it, it was, I think, at around 50 grand a year. And we passed six figures uh, not long after. So that's going well. Another company is an Airbnb for luggage. 
So that's at Manchester headquarters, Manchester. And we now have, I think, 75 locations in the UK. And around, we just, this year we went into the US and we have, I think, like 15 locations. So total we have around 80 something or 90 locations. So we're going to pass 100 this year. So that's, that's that will be a good milestone. Again, when we started that business, it was just 100 bags a month. Like, And this person came to me and said, hey, I want... I want a partner. I want someone to help me grow my business, to scale and so on. If I join, it, it quadrupled since then or whatever, you know, so it's, it's going well. Then what else do we have? We have a card game for couples. We invented the game that uh, helps people, helps couples experience more love, joy, and connection. And so it's really a, it's a true game that, you, that has rules and has rewards and has, you know, various things that you can play around with. So very, very cool thing. At least I... Obviously, I'm biased, but at the same time, last year, we won the most innovative game in the UK award. So we have exterior, exterior, let's say, validation. We've been featured on over 40 industry podcasts. We have 3 million people coming to that website every single year, right, organically. So that's going well as well, and so on and so forth. So it's just businesses one on top of the other. My newest business is a is called Alvanda. It's at alvanda.com. And that one, we literally just launched. Hopefully will do well. And it basically, it helps you manage your business, all of your operations, everything, every procedure, every task, tracking of everything. It's just, everything's in one place. Project management, initiative management, strategy, culture, everything can be managed in one place. The reason why we built it is because I've had the pleasure working with 300 companies until now. and I can tell you with all honesty that 0% of them had procedures in place correctly. 0%. I can't even say like 1% or 5%, whatever. No, zero. Not even one out of 300 companies, some of them small, others making millions or tens of millions. Not even one of them had a proper system in place to manage themselves. So we've invested a ton into building Alvanda. We've invested, I think, $400,000 so far building it huge infrastructure behind it, but it can, it's literally the tool for the little guys, for the people that are, you know, one, two, three, 10 people, you know, very, it starts at 20 bucks a month, just so you get an idea, right? So it's, we intentionally made it because we realized that the only people that have access to this level of systems are the enterprise that have the capital to be able to go to SAP or Accenture or Ernst & Young and pay them $2 million or $20 million, right, to build systems in their business. But the, we don't have that, right? Small business doesn't have that. I said, why not? And no one built it. And then I thought, I thought it's too good to be true. Like, why didn't no one build this? And then I started building it. And two and a half years later and half a million dollars later, I realized why no one tried. <laughs> or they tried and probably failed, you know, and they didn't reach market market cap. So those are, those are the businesses or a few of them. It's really interesting. And, and I'm thinking a lot of thoughts as you're sharing that. But I think what I want to ask is when most people think of mm. starting a business in the online space, you think of starting one business in an area that you're most likely passionate about, or maybe that you see can make some good money. But it sounds like you have gone throughout your many years of experience in online business a different direction. So I'm curious, is most of the business that you have that you are a partner in, is it investors or partnerships or is it an idea that you had that you solely just created and marketed? And what what has that looked like for you? How many mm -hmm. businesses did you just start versus investing birth partnership? Most of them are in partnerships. The engineering company I started, that's my passion. I love building stuff. I'm an engineer at heart. I always have been, and I just love getting my hands dirty, just building stuff. Uh, so that's, that's my passion project, so to speak, if we are to discuss in that. So we've grown that to, again, clients in 19 countries, over 60 senior engineers or senior staff, and just, we've won four awards so far with that company and so on. So really passionate about that, really love that from the beginning at, up until now. The card game we've invented because we didn't find one. We didn't see a card game for couples that actually matters. We saw a couple games, they quote games because they're not real games. They're just questions printed on a piece, pieces of paper, right? And they're like questions like, you know, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Like, yeah, 
how many times are you going to ask that, you know, because before it becomes weird. These are not real games. They're just questions. And you can just go to an article, Google, get to know yourself better questions and then just do that, right? You don't need to spend any money. So we said there are no real games. Let's invent one. And we invented one. It took us six months to invent the real game. Uh, and then we feel we succeeded because we have people that have played our game in 176 countries. So basically almost all the countries on the planet have played our game at this point. The physical game, physical version of it, we've sold in 10 countries, thousands and thousands of units, right? We really liked it. Like all of the feedback that we got is super heartwarming. So that we started. And Alvanda, for example, the, the business tool that I told you about a second ago, that I started as well. That was my idea. I raised capital for it. I put my own money and raised capital and then we... We did that. And the other ones I was invited into. So I, I got 30% shares, 50% shares, 70% shares, whatever. You know, like I was just getting shares from, from people and then just helping them grow their assets. Basically. Thanks for sharing that. I think that is really important to note because a lot of guests that I have on, and I think a lot of people in general, like I said, when you're looking to start in the online space, you think I have to just create it and it's going to be only me. And then it's like, how do you bring it to market? And do you need investors? And a lot of these things are not thought about, but there's so many other business models and ways to start something you're passionate about. So how do you bring these businesses to market? I guess if you're a partner, then maybe it's not solely on you, but what does that overall in general look like? So I can, I can tell the audience something that they don't want to hear. So I don't, I don't start any business without at least a hundred grand in marketing budget from the very, I don't even consider it because many people think that they can bootstrap. Fine. You can bootstrap. Okay. What are you going to bootstrap? A marketing agency. Okay. Fine. There are 2 million of them. Right. So go ahead, bootstrap it. Right. What are you going to bootstrap? Uh, the next social media giant. Okay. Facebook is not going to be idle. Instagram is not going to be idle. Right. Pinterest is not going to be idle and so on. It's just, like, what do you want to do? Is there no one in the space? Fine, you can bootstrap. Are there big competitors that can outpace you at any point in time? Well, you might as well have a budget, right? Because it will be very hard to win. I can give you one example. We were, were invited in a business middle of last year. We worked on it for a couple of months and then we launched it. It's called Taplio, by the way. All of this is public information. So you can check it out if you want. But we've started the business, worked on it for a couple of months and then launched it. In the first two months, we passed a quarter million dollars as a company. And by the end of month three, we were already bought out. Someone already purchased. We just couldn't talk about it for like six months, but it was, it was already a done deal. And we made multiple seven figures. So I don't want to say how much, but it was quite a significant amount, especially for what, four months of work. You basically make a million a month at that point. It, it's something that you can, there's a word for it. You can wing it. But if you're going to wing it, you know, don't invite me, <laughs> you know, like if, if you want to be a strategist, if you want to do this properly, if you want to, you know, take something from nothing to millions or take something that's making 50K right now a year, right to a quarter million and then half a million and then 2 million and you know, so on and so forth. And you're committed, 100% we can work, right? And that, remember my three rules, like it's one, does it make the world a better place? Two, can it make money in month one? So let's say join now, will it make month? money in the next month. And then three is, do I like the people, you know, that are there? And if, if I believe you're lazy or if I believe that, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for a silver bullet or you're looking for to cut corners or stuff like, I don't like that. Right. I don't mind if someone's ingenious, like they come up with something super smart. Right. And they're like, Robert, look, this works. And then they show me and it, I actually believe it works. I'm like, okay, let's, let's go. Let's do this together, right? At one point, we had a guy that wanted us to build an app for him. We quoted him how much it was. I don't know how much it was, maybe a hundred grand or whatever. He came back and said, hey, do you want shares in the company instead of money or partial shares or whatever? And then we said, well, we like the idea. Let's consider it. What are you thinking of? And, you know, he basically wanted us to end up give 50% or like a 50 grand for like 2% of the company. I'm like, <laughs> No, you find 50 grand, give me 50 grand, keep your 2% of the company. Yeah, that's just so unreasonable. You do have some people like that. It's, it's rare nowadays. In the past, it used to be more common that people say, oh, hey, I, I can give you 2% of my company. I'm not interested. 
I make millions. Please excuse me. I don't, I don't want to be rude. I'm really not interested in 2% of a $50,000 a year business. What do I make? You know, what, $1,000 a year and I have to invest so much time? Come on, take yourself seriously, you know? I mean, what are you talking about? No, it's, it's, you need to have the right mindset as a person, right? You need to be humble. You need to understand where you are. I'm just raising capital, for example, for my next venture. I mean, I didn't start yet. I'm just preparing some, some docs, whatever. And I want to um, uh, give away 10% of the, co- I don't want to give away any part of the company, but I mean, if I'm going to raise capital. So for 150 grand, I'm giving away 10% of the company, right? Here I am. I already had success 10 times. And not the beginning, beginner, right? I've been doing this a lot and successfully a lot, right? Predictably every single time. And so I am asking for 150 grand for 10% of the company, right? And so I've talked to one investor. I showed it to me. They laughed. They're like, Robert, why would you give away 10% of the company for 150 grand? (laughs) I'm like, well, because I'm reasonable. That's why, you know, that's why. And I kid you not, they were so on not expecting that. They were so like, Robert, this feels too good to be true. What are you hiding? You know, nothing. You're taking on all of the risk. You need to understand that you're speaking with someone that understands your position. I'm not going to ask you for $2 million for 20% of my company, right? It's an idea, you know, (laughs) let's wake up. Like all of us should just wake up. You know, if it's an idea, there's no guarantee that it's going to work. Any amount of capital put into it is a hundred percent risk, right? Whether you put in 50K or 5 million, it doesn't matter. Some of my friends raised 90 million and they go bankrupt, Nicole. They freaking go bankrupt. I, 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 I always almost want to punch them because that's why, you know, some of these things go so diff- so poorly, right? Because here's a guy that gets $90 million for whatever, 40% of his company. And then he spends all of the money. How can you spend $90 million and fail, fail, you know, all of the money lost. Where is it? What did you spend it on? Right? Horrible, horrible. And this happens over and over and over again. And of course, at one point, investors will be like, just grow up, guys. I'm not going to give you so much money. Of course, it's going to change. And it has changed already. So I, I just feel I'm one step ahead of the curve from that perspective. If, if someone gives me hundreds of thousands, I'm very realistic. I understand money is not easy to come by, right? And I don't care how much money you have. I never go to a billionaire and I have some billionaire friends and say, hey, could you just give me half a million? I know it's nothing for you. That's disrespectful. And everyone that thinks like that needs to understand that's very disrespectful because they invested their entire life. And by the way, don't think that these billionaires or multimillionaires divorce because they like it. Don't think that for a second. They're divorcing, divorcing because they did not spend enough time with their spouse because they're busy working their butt off every morning, every night, every weekend to make their venture a success. So the next time you want to ask them for money, you know, just think that half of all of their wealth just went away and their family and their children and everything, you know, they've paid the price for that. Do do not disrespect that. That's not fair right? Uh, you're not willing to pay that price. Trust me. It's a lot of drama or maybe you are, who knows? Maybe you're crazy and then and go for it, you know, pay the price. I'm not willing to sacrifice my, my amazing relationship with my wife, right? She ever yells at me because I'm working too much, you know, say, okay, well, where do you want to go? Let's go for a three hour walk, you know, Let's do whatever you want. Let's take the entire weekend off. Let's do whatever, you know, don't, I don't care. You know, uh, it doesn't happen. I'm just saying that if it would, I'd immediately react. I'd immediately cancel my meetings, you know, do whatever I need to do to make sure that she's happy, to make sure that we're in a good place. I spend time with my mom, spend time with my father, my siblings, friends, and so on and so forth. Like, I'm not willing to pay the price of billionaireship with not having anything else in my life. And I understand that there are people that do that. And I, I just consider them other people. <laughs> you know, just there are those types of people out there. And there's me who I like to have balance in life. It's an interesting perspective speaking to you who you have created so much wealth for yourself. And it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. So thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, a lot of of people haven't reached what you have. And so that perspective, it's something that you don't even really consider because most of us probably aren't going to be billionaires. I don't think most of us expect (laughs) to be billionaires. So it's an interesting... Statistically, no one will be a billionaire, you know? 
Like how many are there? A thousand billionaires and seven billion people. Statistically, you're not going to be there. Just just forget that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why I think it's such an interesting perspective to hear it from you, who is in circles with people who mm-hmm. are making that much in their businesses. So what I wanted to ask you on that topic was what are some important characteristics or just important attributes in general that you look for in somebody when you are starting a business with them, partnering with them, you're investing in their company? Or are the characteristics of the person maybe less important over something else to you? Very good question. I'll answer uh, in a more complicated way because uh, there are multiple things to do. So the more the more you live and the more you actually experience life mindfully, the more you realize that nothing is cut and dry. There's there's no pure white or pure black. Everything's gray. You know, everything's yin and yang, uh, good and bad, and so on and so forth. I mean, there is no good and bad. Everything just is. But you get the point. Everything's there's a duality of everything, right? Everything's equal, parts good, equal. So when I look at someone, what characteristics define them? Humility is very important for me. Humbleness, arrogance, I, I dislike, so go away. And I don't even want to talk with you. Uh, and I understand that sells. I understand arrogant people can sell a $10 million deal and not give a crap if the other guy loses his money. And some companies want that as a, their sales team, right? Because they just want the revenue. I don't want that vibe. I don't want that culture. I don't want that karma. Whatever you want to call it, I don't want it. Look for humility. So when someone says, hey, I'll give you 2% of my company for 50 grand, I, I, I just zone out. You know, I said, okay, not, not going to happen. You know, just move on, work with someone else. Ego as well is a very bad thing. I can't work with people that have ego. Or I can to a certain extent. I just understand they have an ego and I work around it. I do have some people I would work with that have larger egos, but as long as they're also, you know, sensical and and they understand normal logic, it's fine. You know, you can work with them because most people have an ego. So it's like keeping it against themselves, against them would mean that you wouldn't work with 95% of humans, you know, because less than 5% probably operate without. So humility, then work ethic. I don't want to work with someone that doesn't want to work. Why would I? I don't need to. I'm not going to work with you, right? If you have capital. Like you don't want to work. Let's say you inherited $10 million and you come to me and like, Robert, I want to keep the money basically, right? Like, I, and I don't want to be one of those stories that, you know, you inherited money or you win the lottery and then you, you lose it all, right? I want to actually use it properly. I don't want to work because I don't have to, like I have these, but I want to make the money work for us. So, okay, perfect. I can work with that, right? If they're setting the expectation that clearly and they're that honest, perfectly fine. No problem. Something else from that perspective. That would basically be all I'm looking for. Uh, Competence. Yes, they have to be competent and something, right? Like whether they do marketing or they're the engineer or whomever they are in the business, like whatever their role they have, they need to be competent at that. If I would do business with a lawyer, I would expect that lawyer to be a very good lawyer because otherwise, you know, whatever we're doing, building a tech in, in, in law, if you don't know law, right? I don't know law. Obviously, I need you to tell me what we need to build. So if, if you don't know, how should I, right? I'm not going to figure that out for you, right? So they need to be very good, competent in whatever it is they do. So that's that in terms of characteristics. So I can tell you that the person or the people in the team, that because sometimes it's multiple people in a team I invest in or I, I join forces with, they, those are the most important factor because at the end of the day, if the, money, uh, if the, the business makes less money, they need, they need to understand that their paycheck will be cut this month, right? Or, or non-existent. They're not okay with that. They're not good founders, right? Just, I've had in the first three years of Westrom, I may, I gave myself no money. I kid you, nothing, not even a cent in the first three years. After that, guess what? In the next two years, I pay myself seven. <laughs> I was paying people $6,000 a month income and I was paying myself $700, right? And so... If I talk to someone that's not willing to do that, I'm sorry, it's just not going to work. I understand you have a family. I understand you have mouths to feed. Keep your job. What do you want me to say? You know, or just do something, you know, just don't depend. If you're doing business, you need to understand business is risky. It's like a, a riskier bet, right? Than, than getting employment. You have that. At the same time in which the people are most important, the way I conduct my contracts typically is that if for some reason, they go haywire, they go crazy. They like, they stop working, they do whatever. I can take control of the asset. Why? Because 
if I invested two years of my life into something like that got to $2 million and then the guy all of a sudden starts buying himself Ferraris or, you know, doing crap like that, I'm, I'm just going to kick him out. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm sorry. It's like we had expectations. If you're willing to go against those expectations, that voids our contract and you're out, right? You lose basically what you've built, what we've built together, right? I'm not going to let you squander what we've built. You can squander what you've built alone. You can squander what we both have built because I have a vested interest. So, and that's his very reason. Someone that does not consider that reasonable doesn't understand the value that the partner brings into their business, right? Because at the end of the day, who is going to invest their time, their energy, their capital, their network, their introductions, everything, you know, for you. And then you, and then in two years, you just take all of that, you know, and you keep it and do whatever you want with it. No, <laughs> you need to understand it's a partnership. Even if I only own 30%, I have what is called minority shareholder protection, right? And I put that into all of my shareholder agreements. I'm a minority shareholder. I want protection in case you go crazy, in case you want to sell the company and not ask me, or in case you want to bring in a new partner or do anything, you need my approval. If you don't get my approval, there are penalties, right? And obviously, if you do enough bad things without consulting with me, then I can, the ultimate penalty is that you get kicked out, I get the shares, and then I actually run the business how it should be run. And I don't, you know, buy the Lamborghinis or whatever else. I have had people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars frivolously. And I've had friends tell me that, you know, they've trusted people and, you know, they've just spent their money and so on and so forth. It's crazy how often this happened. It might sound like I'm talking about exceptions, but this does happen. It happened to me. It happened to my friends. So we want to be protected. Interesting. I would think, and I guess you would hope that that happens in a very specific and rare instance. No. But interesting no. that it doesn't. It, it's crazy how crazy people become once they have unlimited money. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's like, it's like they lose it. It's like until then, Perfect human beings. You could work with them for years. And I'm giving you an example of someone that has worked with someone else for over 10 years. Uh, like they were like a contractor or whatever partner. And like they did amazing. They made millions together. And then they started the business together. And my friend put in the capital, hundreds of thousands of dollars to fund the business. And the guy was the one that had to run it. They bought themselves a brand new BMW. They took themselves... $20,000 at one point without asking anyone, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's just things like that occurring, right? Not hitting their targets, not whatever. The same person that was making millions before, right? When they weren't in partnership, all of a sudden, you know, they didn't know what to do with all of this power. They could literally do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, they had money, right? And uh, my friend looked into it and he literally asked me, where's the, why did you take 20 grand? Well, I needed it. For what? To pay something off. Why didn't you ask me? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, because I, I planned on putting it back. Okay, well, put it back. But I don't have the money now. Okay, but, you know, it, you can imagine the conversation wasn't good. It just, it can't be good at that point, right? He put up, pull out the money. Who knows what he gambled? I don't know what he did, you know. But the, the reality of it is that you can't trust a person like that. You can't trust them with the finances, can't trust them with the bank account, can't, like, you just, just take 20 grand, don't tell you. The only reason, uh, this was the worst part, that the guy never said anything. This, he, this guy just looked at the accounts, at the balance sheet, and just saw 20, million, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 20 grand being taken out. And was like, where is this money? Why did you take it, right? And the guy didn't even hide. He was like, I needed it for something. Imagine the audacity. It was like, I just needed it for something. Yeah, I was just sitting there doing nothing. Might as well take it. It's like, what? are you talking about? It's crazy. So yeah, this happens. We, I have so many stories. Like you would be shocked. Like I've, I've lost millions, literal millions in my businesses. So far. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I am shocked by that. And I guess that I was going to ask you, but you kind of just already touched on it about the legal side of things in business and partnership. And it sounds like that is one clause that you have, I'm sure of many in the contracts when you yep. come into your company, because... Yes. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. You don't necessarily know that person you think you do on one level, but you don't know what they're yeah. going to be like when they get to the next level or the next level. Yes. And a million different situations can happen. So do you have anything to say about 
protecting yourself legally within business? Something that I can tell you is that anyone that wants to do business seriously uh, needs to know law. I, 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 I believe that by this point. We, we've had, like, for example, with my marketing agency, at one point, it was uh, me and uh, my co-founder. And at one point, one of our past clients said that they were going to sue us. They were a very powerful client. Like they had all of the capital, all of like they had an in-house legal team. Imagine, <laughs> not not a not an outside team. They had in-house a legal team, you know, just paid to sue people or whatever it is that they an in-house team does, right? <laughs> so they said they were going to sue us. My, I kid you not, my my co-founder that invited me into the business, he called me. He's like, Robert, let's just close shop. Seriously, before all of this happens, let's go to the to the chamber of commerce. Let's just tell them, you know, like we're closing. Before they can sue us, like, let's just close the entity before they can sue us. And then we escape, you know, there's not, nothing they can do. If, if it's, if it's an LLC, you know, and you close it, that's it. It's done. I'm like, what are you talking about? This business is making a million dollars a year. Where, why would we close it? You know, but, but imagine if they sue us, like they could sell us for so much, like the, the headache, the, the, the like reputation, the whatever. I'm like, you know what? Let's do this. You take the day off. Let's just. Turn off your phone, take the day off, I'll handle it. And then I just went into it. I, I prepared my, my points. I talked with the founder of that company, you know, had a very, very good conversation. We agreed on the points of what we need to do and how it needs to happen and so on and so forth. And they never sued us. We just fixed what they were bugged about, took us two days and that's it, right? Similarly, I've been, I've the most money I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably even over a million, was on poor contracts. And now our, our contracts are much, much better. They, you know, they're called bulletproof, but nothing's really bulletproof. Like, but they're much, much better. So I can tell someone that you need that skill set or you need to get it, right? So part of, I have a, I have a holdings company called Robert Indiash Holdings and that holdings company manages the other businesses. And basically I have like a secretarial team, an admin team, a legal team, you know, all of, all of that is there. And so when part of the advantage, when I go into a company is that I bring that know-how into that, right? And some people underestimate it until they get sued for half a million and then they need to close shop or whatever. And, and then that's just it, right? And the people that appreciate it, understand it, right? So uh, that's... That's my two cents there. Our contracts, even if we, like, for example, we do tests sometimes when we test and test engineers to see if they actually know because CVs and interviews and, you know, they, they're very good at selling themselves. And then when the rubber hits the road, right, then, you know, so what we do is we do tests like two weeks of a test or whatever. So just to do a two week test, our contract is like 20 pages long, right? Have a non-disclosure, non-disparagement, non-compete. You know, you, you can't steal my clients. I won't, you know, whatever, everything you build, we keep, right? We only pay after the work is done. If it's not done correctly, you understand it's your fault. You need to take that liability because I tell you, I need a brown door here and you put me a blue door there. You know, I was like, no, that's not what I asked. And I'm not going to pay if you don't get, get me what I asked. Like if you don't understand English, either way, we shouldn't have started this conversation, right? This engagement. If you do understand English, this is plain English. This is what I need. You're not going to do it because you don't know how to. Again, I shouldn't pay you because the, the, the firm understanding of our engagement, of our relationship is that you know how to do something I need done. I was very clear on what I need done. You said you can do it. I'm going to pay you if you do, right? And, and so on and so forth. This is very banal English, but you say this in legal gibberish, right? You protect yourself. And then the other guy is protected as well, because he knows that if he actually does what we asked for to the T, we have to pay him. It's a legal obligation. There are obligations on both sides. You need to deliver what was asked of you. I need, if you deliver, I need to pay you. There's no question that. And, and within the time frame, they can't come back six months and say, oh, I finished, you know, and then, and then I request money. You know, that's, that's also, you need to protect from that standpoint. So that's basically it. Our contracts are multi-pages. Typically, we have letters of intent, like if someone wants to put in money, I can just draft up a two-page, three-page document, whatever, and then they transfer the money, and that's good enough for me and good enough for them, typically. But when you then do the articles of incorporation of the company, that's 50 pages. So that's, that's basically, it's a lot of, 
it's a skill set in itself, just like anything. That's really interesting. So I have one really, okay, this is actually not a quick question at all, but make <laughs> it quick. And so on this show, what I like to talk about a lot are tax optimization, ways that mm. you can, you know, you, usually this is for Western countries, leave your home country, set up a business elsewhere. You mentioned you have some businesses in Wyoming and Florida and houses are in different places. So I'm curious what that just a very brief overview, how you have structured your life and your businesses to optimize your taxes, if you have done that at all. Yes, I have been doing that for many years. So two things you need to think of when, when doing, or three things. Number one is convenience to client. So will the client transfer money to a random account in, in, you know, Malaysia? And the answer is many times, no, they're not going to do a wire transfer to something in Pakistan. We're not going to do it. So we have domestic uh, accounts in Delaware, Wyoming, Florida, you know, and so on and so forth. So we don't have that problem, right? I told you my engineering company has offices in three countries, not because we didn't have anything better to do with our time. <laughs> you know, it's because most of our clients are in those places, Europe, UK, and the US. And if we have an Asian company, right, or an Australian company, they have no problem paying in the US or European or, or UK account. UK people have a problem sending anywhere other than the UK. The US people prefer domestic. They can, they're already used to paying in other countries. But again, they're not going to do a wire transfer to Pakistan. They're going to do a wire transfer to the UK, fine. But they very much prefer to do a domestic transfer to another LLC, right? That's it. Very easy. Next one. Number two is legal protection. You need to understand you need to have LLCs or some form of an entity that protects you in every case, right? In the, the assets that I own, each one of them has an LLC, right? No matter what asset it is, each one of it has its own LLC or corporation, whatever. What I'm saying is you need a corporation. You need something other than you. And anything that happens there cannot be held against you as a person. Right. Obviously, if you do malicious, malicious activity, right, like fraud or whatever, it will come after you. Don't, don't be stupid. Don't do, number one, don't do that because you shouldn't. Number two, don't be stupid. Right. You cannot do illegal stuff. It doesn't matter under what umbrella and get away with it, or you shouldn't get away with it. Sorry. I hope you don't get away with it if you do stuff. But basically, as long as it's within reasonable terms, like literally misunderstood or what, like, for example, if those people would have sued us, we could have closed shop. And they couldn't have come after us because it was something that they just didn't like, right? And they fixed in a couple of days. So any lawsuit would not have followed us, right? And they wouldn't have made any money at the end of it. So as legal protection, you should be, you should have your entities to protect yourself legally and make sure you are set up in that manner. If you don't know, just anyone can, by the way, just send me an email at me at robertinglesh.com. Or if you Google my full name, first three pages are about me, I think. And so you can find my website and just email me at robertinglesh.com and I can answer any questions or help or whatever. And then, and then the third part is taxes, as you mentioned. So we were living in the UK for around half a decade, up until not long ago. And in, in, it's very similar to the US or to several states in the US where at, after a certain income bracket, you have 45% tax. So I give myself a million dollars, half a million I give to the great British government. And it's not so great. <laughs> it does not use my money effectively. So I don't want to do that. Obviously, why would I want to give half a million dollars away every year for no good reason, right? If, if they would have amazing healthcare and amazing everything else, perfect. No problem with that. But they don't. They don't. My, my wife went to the doctor. She had some significant pain. She, you know, really needed some help. They gave her a doctor's appointment in six weeks, weeks, weeks. And we're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to them and it takes six weeks for them to check out my wife to see if she has something <laughs> and i was like come on with with the money i give you a year i could build my own clinic and i'm not gonna tolerate this and i don't want to say any swear words but i'm not gonna tolerate it right it's just why would i and so uh, we moved for tax purposes and various other quality of life purposes we move right now we live in romania which i can tell you in terms of taxes so zero percent income tax Number one, any money I make, if someone pays me from Canada, from the US, from the UK, it doesn't matter. Whenever they pay me from money lands in Romania, 0% tax, nothing. Okay, that's number one. Number two is a dividends tax. So if you have companies and you pay yourself dividends, 
instead of paying again, 45%, I, we pay here 8%. And up until not long ago, it was five. <laughs> so they just made it eight. So it's probably the next change will be in, I don't know how many years. It was five for like 50 years, you know? And so now they made it eight. And so it's 8% on dividends. The another type of taxes is real estate tax. So if you own property and you rent it, you pay 10% because it's considered that you're doing better than most other people because you have something to rent out, right? So it's 10% there, basically, right? If you're an employee, you do pay, you know, like half of your salary, like almost everywhere in Europe, your US or whatever. We are not those, right? Anyone listening to this podcast probably isn't a, a fixed employee with a stable contract, right? Like you're a contractor or you have your business or whatever. So you will fall into the zero, eight or 10% brackets, right? If you, if you do real estate, you have 10, otherwise it's zero or eight. And so I'm very happy with that tax rate and they, they're using the tax money much, much, much better. I can tell you here, like I go, I need, I need a doctor's appointment. Now I get it now. I need an x-ray done now. I get it now. I need anything done now. I get it now. Right. And it works instantly. Right. So that's, that's basically what we have. And quality of life is just so much. Better. Myself personally, I'm from Canada. I left. Canada. And I think it's very, the UK is similar, the US, it's very easy for people who haven't lived in those countries long-term to think, oh, it's amazing. You don't have problems. You have the NHS in the UK. We have free healthcare yeah. in Canada, free with a big asterisk around yes. it. I don't, I'm sure it's probably similar with the NHS because yeah, you know, I lived in China for so long and I got such better service and I didn't have to wait six months for an MRI. I waited yes. days. And I yes, paid yes. it. It was $100. Yes, exactly. Exactly. In the UK, they say MRI, MRI costs 5,000 pounds, right? And then your insurance pays it. And like, of course, it takes forever. They don't want to spend 5,000 pounds. But it doesn't cost five. You go in Romania, it's the same. You pay like, whatever, 80 bucks, right? And then you get an MRI. It's like, that's it. Just get get it over with. <laughs> and that's why I love talking to other nomads and people like you entrepreneurs who have left whatever the home country is or their high taxing country that they had residency in because life can be so much better elsewhere. And like you said, quality of life as well yes. can be so much better elsewhere if that's what you want and what you're looking for. And for me and for listeners and for you, typically that is. So thank you for sharing all of that. Where can people find you online? So they, they if they Google my name, they'll find my, my website. It's robertindish.com. My portfolio is there. I don't update it very often, but once upon a time, I, I go in and, and I make updates. The last time I, I did it was probably end of last year or a few months ago, but it, it has quite a bit of information. And if they want to speak with me, they just go to me at, or, or they just email me at robertindish.com. And then I have, I have an admin team of six people, four of which, you know, are in charge of comms and so on and so forth. So anyone that emails me, they just need to tell me that they come from your podcast and then I'll gladly. Amazing. And all the links are below. Robert's email is below as well. If you would like to email him and ask any questions, if anything from this episode sparked some questions or ideas in your mind, I'm sure Robert would love to hear from you. Robert, thank you for being on the show today. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.